0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Flamingo Sundays podcast. Today we're sitting here on the beautiful Newcastle Harbour. Um, it's only Tuesday, but we're sitting here with the host of Friday with Fitz, a bit early in the week. Um, mate, actually pretty pretty pumped to have you on today. Um, you've, got a, you've got quite a track record. You're a, we were just chatting, You, I think you're a family of definitely overachievers, not underachievers. Um, you know, you've been the CEO of NIB for the last 18, 18 years.
1: 19 19
0: 19 years, Um, which is obviously you know one of Australia's largest companies, publicly listed company.
1: Uh, Mark Fitzgibbon, welcome to the show, mate. No, it's great to be here. Thanks for the um, invitation. Flamingo, where's Flamingo come Um, from, mate? Funnily enough, it has
0: not. It doesn't have a very good origin story. So I was uh, I was travelling in Europe couple of years back and as you do when you're a young guy in Europe mm. it's mainly landing in a, in a in a destination and drinking until you leave that destination right, right, right. <laughs> and I uh, I went past one of those corner stores in, in Mykonos, I think it was, and mm. there was this big, wide-brim hat that was made for women that had flamingos on the side of it, so I right. picked it up and, um, mate, every day I was drinking. Very similar to how to do your Friday with Fitz videos, yeah. I had a, it's Flamingo Monday's video and usually I'd have a different alcoholic beverage in my hand, yeah. and it just sort of stuck with me from there. Oh, well, who would have thought
1: you'd be here today? <laughs>
0: exactly, mate. So, mate, for people who don't know who you are, which I think would be uh, very few and far between, um, where, where does Mark Fitzgibbon sort of originate from?
1: Yeah, well just for, you mentioned overachievers, uh, you know, well, what is underachieving, what is overachieving? Maybe I was born to be Prime Minister or play footy for Australia and I didn't. So, um, you know, I think that's important that we just take stock of where we are in life and who we are and just, um, you know, enjoy where we are. Unless things are really tough, of course, which yeah. they are for some people. Um, but this idea that somehow we're destined to be here or there, I think is one we have to get past. Otherwise, it can cause us all sorts of psychological uh, uh, grief. But anyway, um, yeah, so I grew up in Cessnock, um, just west of here. Uh, For those who don't know, it's a country town. It's, um, you know, a middle-class, working-class country town. It was a great childhood. I spent time in the bush and played a lot of football. Probably spent too much... Time drinking beer with my, my mates. But well, what pub did you go to back then, Cesar? Oh, I well, drank at most of them. The well, it depends whether I felt like two years or twos. Back then, <laughs> the pubs were one or the other. So, the yeah, Australian Hotel and the Wentworth Hotel, although the Wentworth Hotel was uh, uh, gone. But look, I had a wonderful childhood, um, you know, loving and secure family environment, and um, certainly parents that encouraged me to pursue learning and education as table stakes uh, for any uh, career. And, um, you know, I look back with fond memories of Cessnock. Humble humble beginnings. Well, again, what's humble? But, you know, I felt like a prince uh, growing up in, in, in Cessnock, not yeah. for any particular reason. Um, but, yeah, it was a good, it was a good up upbringing, yeah. um, as, as I mentioned. Uh, you know, it's hard to go past the, the advantages in life of having, you know, that secure, loving family environment. Yeah. So it sounds like you did
0: come from quite a a strong family, and that's obviously I think carried yeah. on into, to, to where you are right now as well.
1: Well, yeah, an ambitious family. Both my parents started off life as teachers. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, my father uh, became the, the federal member uh, around Cessnock, the federal member for Hunter, of which Cessnock's a past and part of, and today my brother um, uh, is the federal uh, member. So I was always um, uh, an, uh, an environment where we are encouraged to do our best and be our best selves, and uh, to be curious about the world, yeah. and um, you know pursue our ambitions, whatever they may be, however humble they may be. Yeah, that's right. And what is humble? Mm.
0: Do you think? I noticed you said you know they always wanted you to, um, I guess, pursue learnings and, and you know have a great education. Do you think that was because they come from a background of teaching and and they obviously seen the, the relevance it had in their life?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it also represented their own background, not so much my mother's, but my father's, who's gone now. But he, you know, his family, growing up, he literally lived in tents on railway sidings. His family was very poor. Um, And so he, you know, educated himself and became what he did, you know, a a politician in our federal parliament through just guile and, um, and, and hard work. So he was a good role model as to... As as, you know, for for all all of the family. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing, too, um, you know, my father was very good at um, being able to laugh at himself, you know, call himself out and take the piss um, on himself. And I I think that's been an important lesson, too, that as ambitious and uh, serious uh, we may be in whatever our field of endeavour, being able to laugh at ourselves and not take us too seriously, take ourselves too seriously is, I think, an important attribute in life.
0: Very, very. Um, do you think, I guess, you know, you obviously grew up in a really strong family. sounds like you were someone who took your education quite seriously. When you were going through that stage of your life, where did you envision your life to, to be? Did you, did you have ambitious goals that you did achieve or has it, has it gone on a different path, do you think?
1: Yeah, I always uh, enjoyed leadership. Um, I used to joke um, that I wanted to be one day be the la- be CEO of the largest corporation in the world. And somebody asked, um, "What am I doing to prepare myself for that?" And I said, "Well, I have no friends." <laughs> so, but um, yeah, no, I was always ambitious to um, pursue some sort of you know leadership role. Yeah. Uh, and it was most likely going to be in the corporate world. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that said, it could have easily been in some community purpose or maybe coaching the Newcastle Knights. Uh, um, who knows? But, yeah, I think that ambition was always there. So you, you always envisioned yourself to be a CEO of quite a large company? And... Yeah. Yes, I did. Yeah. I did. And there was probably a little bit of arrogance and uh, egotism uh, uh, about that. But whatever it is, it is. Well, How, growing up in Cessnock, like, Cessnock is, like you said, a
0: small country town. I would say, on the grand scheme of things, when you're comparing it to places like Sydney and Melbourne, you're not surrounded by people who are CEOs of businesses and, you know, owners of huge companies. Mm. Where do you think that ambition come from? Because, you know, generally, as, as a young person, I look at the people that I grew up with, and I would say 90% of them become the ab- average of, of, of their surroundings, which...
1: Yeah, look, it's a really good question. I think um, it's something that's innate. Uh, maybe encouraged through my schooling and my interest in economics and, and, and commerce uh, at school. Um, but, you know, I've got to say, Jack, a lot of my mates who I played footy with and were working in coal mines, earning three to four times more than I was, mm. used to scoff, say, you know, Fitzy, what are you doing? Why, why, why are you bothering? What do you mean you can't come out the night? Do you have an exam tomorrow? Um, you know, get alive. <laughs> so there was, there was was there was a little bit of... Skepticism bordering on cynicism about you know m- me being a little bit different in pursuing um, an education and a career because most of the other kids who were like-minded had actually left home they'd gone to university um, you know in Sydney or yeah. in Melbourne or even Newcastle uh, I didn't I stayed in Cessnock and all my study you know right through to you know my mid40s you know I did a couple of master's degrees was uh, all part-time or externally based.
0: And all so, all in Cessnock?
1: Uh, no, no. I left Cessnock when I was twenty. Okay. So um, no, most of my education and you know career time has been outside of Cessnock. I started my working career at Cessnock Council, yeah. which was the largest corporation in town at the time. Um, but yeah, now Cessnock's a uh, you know a long way back in history for me now. Yeah. Growing
0: up, like you you just said, you know, a lot of your friends because you did have those ambitions and goals and maybe your friends are a little worried about, you know, Monday Monday to Friday work and then Friday to Sunday getting on the piss. Do you feel like you sacrificed a lot? Like, I think that's a big thing for young people, especially millennials, you know, like if they're contrarian to majority of their friends they have that peer pressure to, to do what they do, even though their, their goals may not be aligned. Did you feel that at all?
1: No, I didn't, no, I didn't, because I still did those things <laughs> as, as, as well. I'm, you know, I'm a busy person. Yeah. Um, and probably the times, and maybe study uh, was a good excuse, you know, not to keep going uh, on Sunday uh, <laughs> with, with, with the weekend. I think playing football, you know, I was, I was an average footballer, um, but it gave me um, cause as most of my mates were also footballers, you know, we still stayed, you know, pretty fit yeah. and still behaved uh, reasonably uh, by some, some standards. So, no, I never felt uh, the odd one out. So uh, you, still out live,
0: you, felt, you still got to live a, a fulfilled childhood and, 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 you know, early adulthood before you had to really knuckle
1: down? Yeah, you no, know, no, absolutely. And yeah. I think um, you know, back then we probably all drank too much, to be honest. Um, you know, if I had my time again, I don't think I'd change too much. Other yeah. than I'd probably, you know, treat my body a little bit better.
0: You look alright now. Yeah, We're well. just just talking about how much you used to run. Ten Ks in what was it? Just three three minute forties or something?
1: No, it wasn't three three 40s. I said it
0: was a tick under four minutes. <laughs> but, uh, That's a tick under four
1: yeah, minutes. Yeah.
0: So, uh, obviously, growing up and then now now being the CEO of you know, one of Australia's largest publicly listed companies. But there's probably quite a journey in there, which we, I don't want to go into every single detail, but h- how high level, how do you progress from starting your career off in Cessna Council to now being a, you know, a CEO of a multi-billion dollar corporation? Like, it, it, did you always envision mm. what the journey would look like or was it very different to what you anticipated to begin with to where it actually ended up?
1: No, I don't think I... No, nobody has a crystal ball, and I think one of the great... Um, Art, part of the great art to life is to be adaptive, yeah. to be open-minded about what the future could hold, and able to adjust to whatever that that, that, that that future is. I think there's a danger in setting yourself goals five, ten years that that may or may not be achievable. Because if you don't achieve them, you know you feel so you're underachieved. Mm. Uh, to go back to our earlier point, so now I've always just played it by ear. Um, I've recognised, as we've touched upon that education is a table stakes uh, today. Without it, you just won't compete in the marketplace with with other talent. I did an MBA way back in the 80s, and it it was a point of difference. Uh, Today, it's a point of entry.
0: Do you reckon, like touching education, I guess when you were coming through the ranks, do you feel like formal education back then was a lot more important to it
1: is right now, or do you feel it's, it's just as important? No, it's just as important. And I think uh, this idea that you do a, an undergraduate degree and that's it, you can hang up your um, hang up the boots I think uh, look, it may be appropriate for some, but I more and more today, if you're serious about achieving the upper echelons of the corporate world, you need to keep learning you need to mm. keep professionally developing and uh, you know education is of course uh, you know an enormous part of that
0: yeah so is that what you'd put? Your, I guess, your success, your business success or, or, or your career success down. It was just constantly improving, constantly educating.
1: Well, that's part of it. Yeah. Um, there are many other parts of it. You know, you yeah. have to be in the right spot at the right I time. I was just going to say yeah. that, yeah. Obviously,
0: yeah. knowing knowing which opportunities to take and, and you know, yeah. knowing which ones not to take.
1: Yeah. You have to be uh, um, agile, or I've already mentioned uh, adaptable. So I, I worked for seven different councils before I made that big career shift. Um, you know, back in the late 90s. And, you know, that's not always easy, shifting around from place to place, particularly if you have a young family, Mm. uh, you have to uh, put up with that. And a lot of it's to do with resilience, um, you know, being able to cop the knocks and the disappointments, but pick yourself up and and, and go on. And a bit like that, there's a... I often tell the story in Jim Collins' book, Good Good to Greats, some of your listeners may have read it. He talks about the Stockdale paradox. So Collins was basically trying to work out, you know, what makes companies great? Um, you know, why do some survive and some don't? Uh, you know, what makes them resilient in the, in, the, in the face of changing, you know, market and economic conditions? And he read about this Lieutenant uh, Stockdale, who was a, a US fighter pilot who was shot down very early in the Vietnamese uh, war and incarcerated for something like four or five years in just awful conditions. And all of his colleagues perished during that, uh, tragically perished during that same period. So he thought, I've got to meet this guy, I've got to find out what is it about Stockdale that caused him to survive uh, and, and do well where the others perished. And when he met Stockdale, Stockdale turned out to be a very modest guy. And you know, Collins asked him, What is it about you? And he said, oh, I don't know, I'm just an average Joe. And so Collins changed tact and said to Stockdale, Well, what was it about the others that caused them to perish? And he said, Hmm. He said, they were the optimist. The optimist? You know, that's a paradox. You'd expect the optimist was five. He said, yeah, they were the guys who thought, well, look, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter came and went, and they weren't. And then it was, oh, we're going to get home by Christmas. And Christmas came and went, and, um, and they weren't out. And eventually it broke their spirits. He said, I always knew I was going to see my wife and family again, but I didn't put any time frame on it I didn't put any stage gates on it I just lived each day of time and adapted uh, to whatever came along and I think there's an important lesson uh, in that for all of us in terms of you know business and life you know have goals have aspirations in business but be realistic and just you know live in the moment and know that if you get a good education uh, you know have a solid um, group of family and, and friends around you and and try and do the right things keep healthy and fit you know, hopefully things fall your way. Mm, that's a good point. One of my coaches, Jeff Jowett, always talks about,
0: you know, falling in love with the process and not necessarily the outcome, where a lot of people put it on a pedestal yeah. and, you know, they, they forget about the daily task you have to do to be able to get you there. They just look at that pedestal and go, well, I'm going to get there one day. And I think it's similar to what Jim Collins was saying mm. around, you know, following the process, understanding, take each day as it comes and you, you, you'll you eventually get there. Mm. Yeah. mates. um Friday with fits. it's the new thing.
1: Yeah, well... It's aimed at like, millennials as well. Well, all my kids have got, had, had more followers than I do on Fridays with Fits, so I'm not claiming <laughs>
0: so, But where, where did it come from? And, and what is it for the people who don't know? I'm blessed enough now to know what Friday with Fits. Yeah, look,
1: is. I've got four children. They're all well-educated, very capable and smart people. But a couple of years ago... Um, we were sitting around the dinner table, and Malcolm uh, Turnbull had just been disposed as, as prime ministers, and they were there, and they had some friends as well. So it was a whole bunch of uh, uh, millennials, and it, it came up that how outraged they were that Malcolm Turnbull, the guy that they elected to be prime minister, had been removed from office. And I said, guys, settle down. I said, none of you voted for Malcolm Turnbull. Oh, yes, we did. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. I said, no, you didn't. I said, Malcolm Turnbull was actually appointed by the Queen, at the behest of the Governor General at the behest of the Parliament, at the behest of the, of, of the caucus, of the Liberal Party. You know, none of you voted for Malcolm uh, Turnbull, and uh, they accepted my, my position, of course it's factual. But it occurred to me that despite the good education, um, and they're all, as I say, highly intelligent, worldly people, there are just some basic things about politics, uh, government, economics, um, philosophy, uh, if you like that, uh, that millennials might be able to benefit by me sharing a little bit of wisdom—not necessarily my own wisdom, but just the wisdom that you know, well, just my knowledge and that I've gained over like, almost 62 years on the planet, and the wisdom of others. So each ever since then, and it's been over two years now, I think um, I've um, chosen a topic and sought to explain that topic in a as um, simple a form as uh, I, I can, and uh, it's still going. So, You know uh, what else it does, though? It actually forces me to better understand a certain issue and synthesise the, the, the issue into a, a coherent, well, hopefully a coherent 60 seconds. Millennial focus, 60 seconds. Well, yeah, but it helps me better yeah. understand the issue. So I did, a, for example, uh, you know, the, the, the Israel-Palestine conflict, the other... The other week. Now, in 60 seconds. Now, it's a tremendously complex uh, uh, subject, but I have to be careful that I don't oversimplify it either. So, it's actually good for me in terms of forcing me to better understand an issue, because if you can't, you know, synthesising the issue is an important way of getting to understand. It's a bit like that old expression: if you can't, the best way to to learn something is to teach it. Mm. And so I find that in doing Fridays with Fit. So there's something in it for millennials, but there's also something in it for me. Sharpening the sword every Mm. every Friday.
0: Touching on that, like (coughs) two years now is a decent amount of time. I'm sure you have a lot of feedback from millennials, your kids being four of those. Um, What do you feel like is the biggest reason that we're uneducated or unaware of all the things that potentially you were made aware of coming through life?
1: Yeah, that's a a good question, Jack. Maybe the the amount of time we spend on social media and just getting sound bites and Mm -hmm. elevator pitches uh, causes us to not find the time, if you like, to go more deeply into certain topics uh, of of interest. Um, You know, I've always found, again, maybe some sort of arrogance that uh, once I've taken an interest in a topic, I want to... Know a lot about it, mm. you know, know more about it than, than, than most. Um, so if it comes up, maybe, you know, I can present myself as a, some the sort local of. local barbecue? Oh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. But I think it's, it's, um, it's a really good question. And, um, you know, what, an old mentor once said to me, like, there was a time in my life, maybe in my 20s, when I didn't read the papers. And then he said to me, well, You don't read the papers. And I said, oh, no. And I sort of squirmed in my chair. And he said, well, you know, you'll end up ignorant. And I thought, huh? What are you talking about? I'm going to university. I'm doing all this stuff. And, you know, he made the point we do need to take an interest in world affairs, in in, in matters and issues outside of whatever we happen to be studying or interested at the time to become a little bit more worldly and informed. That's a good point. That's a good point. Mentors. So, you know, I read papers every day. have um, read the papers every day ever since.
0: It's funny, I I'm one of those people who probably similar to someone you just described, if it doesn't if it doesn't revolve around my inner circle or my inner you know, I guess, area of knowledge, then I'm not really interested in it. But something I've recently started doing is I go to the gym every morning if I'm in Sydney and then I head straight to the cafe in Coogee and I sit down and have breakfast. And I usually just get on my phone and go on LinkedIn or do something like that, but now I actually put the phone down and read the paper for you know, 20,
1: 25 minutes. Yeah, look, and And particularly in these times where we're all so committed to greater diversity and inclusion Mm. in society and and, in the workplace. Um, But it's much easier to buy into, you know, important um, objectives like greater diversity and inclusion if you can actually relate to it. And so you're not just, you know, Pursuing diversity and inclusion because it sounds good or mm. people expect it of you or in your annual report you have to talk about it. You do it because you actually have an insight into the living experience of others, you know, where they're coming from. You're much more uh, a- a- empathetic. I think, you know, that's that's where we get genuine a genuine sense of diversity and inclusion. And you don't do that unless you read and, and, and understand what's going on and in gen- other communities.
0: Yeah, genuinely care. With with the papers though, again it's what's one person's perspective, right? Generally the Telegraph or The Sun Herald or The Newcastle Herald all have their own vested interests in steering you one way or another. Sure. How do you go about sort of navigating that, right? Because if you're trying to get a holistic view or a view that isn't skewed and you can make your own decision...
1: Well, as I say in philosophy, you can never separate the observer from the observation. Yeah. So we all bring something to, to any observation, whether you're a journal or just an everyday Joe like me. Um, it's the punter. Um, so. So we all need uh, to recognise that. We're, we're not born with any values or morals. They're all social constructions. So we accept that as, as, as a given. Um, and then we think critically. So that journo has taken that position. Um, what else might be going on behind the scenes with that journal in terms of you know their own political leaning uh, or, or upbringing? So we think critically about anything we read or hear or, or absorb. Mm. Um, and we form our own, own, own view as best we can, so recognising that there will always be some level of inherent bias in anything we, uh, we read. Yes. And I guess you, the more you read, the more you learn to trust publications, like I read The Economist um, every week. Now, it's probably a little bit left-leaning, but by and large, having read The Economist for years now, um, you know, I trust its trust reporting.
0: Yeah, and you probably... Understand how, how left they're leaning to be able to maybe straighten it up. And
1: well, yeah, and I and, and I, I adjust for that.
0: Yeah. yeah. What do they say? There's a saying. Some people. What they tell you, you Harvard. It, it, well, it yeah, t-
1: but you, you take an issue like um, uh, you know the Middle East Israeli uh, Palestinian conflict. Um, I won't just read what the economists are saying. And then I'll go to the Guardian and say, well, look, you know, what what is a different perspective and um, um, promoting. Um, and try and triangulate that as best I can. Yeah. Knowing that, you know, my my view, you know, opinions are like backsides. sides. You know, everyone Everyone's
0: gone. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned mentor before. How many mentors, or, or how much of an impact would you say mentors have had on your
1: I, I've career? I've never position? had a mentor. Right. But there are a lot of people in lives in my life have been mentors without them even realizing it. Indirectly. You know, just yeah, just observing their behaviour remembering things, you know, they said, you know, guidance uh, they, they gave, so...
0: Anyone yeah. in particular?
1: No, no, nothing that stands out. Um, you know, my old man used to say, always remembering the great horse race of life, you know, always have your money on self-interest. Um, so, you know, I take that into account, um, and just silly little things like that. The one-liners. Yeah. The. Um the reign of 18 years
0: or 19 years almost as CEO of you know, a, p- a public company, very, very uncommon. You know, it's very uncommon to be yeah. a head of a company for that long. That's unique and I guess admirable in, in, in the same sentence. W- what do you reckon you'd put that down to?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the average tenure of a CEO in a publicly listed company is probably six to, to, to seven. Um, Probably of course, the company's changed so dramatically. Certainly, the company that I lead today uh, is very different to the mm. one um, I started with in 2002. Like, we're 10 times larger. Um, you know, we're listed on the stock exchange. We're um, you know, innovating in ways that we never imagined, uh, you know, way back in 2002, particularly around data science and our ability to predict your disease risk and, with that prediction, hopefully prevent all to manage that um, uh, disease. So the job has been constantly evolving. And um, I suppose that's, that's created a level of confidence amongst those who ultimately decide my fate, yeah. my board of directors. But also kept me very interested and passionate uh, about the job. And um, I'm as passionate today as um, you know, I've ever been.
0: Yeah. I think for... I mean, probably for yourself as well, when you probably think as a young whippersnapper, like I want to be the CEO of you know, a large company, the thought of that and the reality of what it looks like are probably two very different things, right? If you you think of people like Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg and all these people the CEOs of, you know, multi-billion dollar international corporations, how different is it living it now to what you essentially thought or initially thought? Or do you not have that... <laughs>
1: Recollection. Yeah, I, I think I think our roles are common. Like obviously, Amazon's a lot uh, larger need, company than and, and a little NIB, um, but the the, the our, our our role and responsibility is similar. Like, yeah. um, and I, I guess I always imagined it this way. Like, it's our job to set the purpose of the company and uh, the strategies and activities which support that purpose it's our job to help people um, get people on board, write people on the bus to quote Jim Collins again, because nobody does it on their own. really all I do is i 'm like the maestro of a you know world class orchestra. I just you know direct the traffic uh, so, so to speak so let 's get those people on board you know assign um, you know help all our people see how they contribute uh, towards the, the purpose to coach to to develop them to set goals and uh, um, Help, you know, monitor progress and hold them accountable. So I think the things I do are the same as what, um, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk does. It's just yeah. that they're a, you know in different stratosphere. And I guess the other thing that's common, it's co- all part of the purpose, is to be you know at the vanguard of thinking, the zeitgeist, if you like. There's a new word for your listeners, zeitgeist. zeitgeist. Look <laughs> it up. Spirit of the times. It's German. Um, so it's our role to be thought leaders within our within our sector, and and uh, our business.
0: Do you think that's changed as well, like over time? You know, I look at my business, again, much different scale to, to NIB, and I feel like the the way you attract talent to a company is by being an inspiring leader. You know, you you, can, you go back to Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg. Like these people are inspiring leaders, and generally people want to work with people who inspire them. Right. So mm. do you do you feel like a, a, a head of any company, that, that's probably your biggest role is to have the, yeah. what was the word again,
1: zeitgeist? <laughs> zeitgeist. That's German for spirit of the times. Um, no, look, I, I think leadership's always been about that, you know, from Julius Caesar to Napoleon, yeah. you know, you have to give your, your people a strong sense of why you're here and what you're trying to achieve, and you have to break it down into uh, manageable chunks. Um, you know, to deliver, uh, to to execute on you know that purpose and whatever strategies um, um, uh, support that. So no, I think the fundamentals of leadership uh, uh, pretty much remained un- unchanged. They've you know obviously had to adapt with technology. They've had to deal with an industrial revolution. You know the the Taylorism, the scientific management, which thought you know if we huddled people into these big factories, uh, we'd all be happier and more productive. Uh, but the fundamentals, um, yeah. I'm, I'm Confident of the saying. Just a
0: few more cameras and lights around these days, huh?
1: <laughs> well, there's certainly a lot more scrutiny. Yeah. Uh, around today, and again, you could argue well, that's you know, it may be a little bit overbearing from time to time, but um, you know, it's probably not a bad thing for society and accountability. Yeah. You know, we're seeing a lot of that now with public companies. You know, society through investors uh, calling companies to account for their actions and behaviours, particularly in terms of you know, you know, their social and ecological responsibilities.
0: Mm. Okay. Mate, it's been a long you know, You've been here for almost 20 years at NIB. Um, you've had seven councils before that you were, you were involved in. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and I ran an industry <laughs> yes. in so yeah, it's been a busy life.
0: Mate, like, like we were just talking about, the world's <coughs> changed a lot since when you initially started, somewhat 40-odd years ago. If you were to start that journey again, 2021, Mark Fitzgibbon's just come out of university, he's 22 years old, and you still wanted to be a CEO of a major corporation, would you do anything differently to what you, you did uh, in your journey? Like, Do you look back now and go, well, well now the, the economy's changed, now the world has changed, I probably have to take these steps?
1: Look, if, if you gave me the option to go back and be 20 again tomorrow, I wouldn't do it. You know. <laughs> really? Well, it's just been, you know, there's too much effort and work and yeah. investment that's gone into being, as I say, 61 uh, uh, today. Would I? Would I change anything? Look, probably, no, I, no, nothing I can think of. Obviously, there's been some moments in, you know, in my lives and personal lives that you think, mm, you know, what was I thinking? Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, I probably drank too much beer in my early 20s although, um, you yeah, know, I got through it. Um, so, no, I don't think I'd change anything. Jack.
0: No. What about aspiring people, aspiring to be in a similar position to you? Like, what, what advice would you give or what actions would you... Would there be any actions you'd take differently or would you just literally, do, you know, use your, use your career path as, as, as a path that they could use and essentially end up in a very similar position?
1: Well, I think we've covered... Um, you know, a good part of it. You know, yeah. uh, be ambitious. Recognise the importance of education. Recognise the importance of hard work. Uh, recognise the importance of having, um, um, you know, being even, evenly tempered, in your demeanour and approach uh, to life. The importance of uh, uh, having friends. The importance of resilience. You know, recognise from time to time you'll get knocked over. Now, you know, you can lie and on the ground bleeding and crying about it or, you, you know, pick yourself up, uh, dust yourself off. And if for some reason in your life it's not that easy because of mental health challenges you may have, get help. Yeah. You know, there's, there's there's nothing wrong with reaching out uh, for help. Um, so, yeah, um, that's probably as, as much as I could... Uh, I think uh, and it's some, and. and, 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 and and Drink like less that. beer. Drink and, less beer. Well, no, but it's as you say about the process. Yeah. Uh, you know, enjoy the process as, as, as well. Like when I was at 1am writing some sort of thesis on some microeconomic subject, I didn't sit back and say, oh, God, this is such a drag. I'm only doing this for the MBA or whatever. You know, I kind of got into it, you know, and enjoyed that um, uh, ride. So, you know, as you know, I often say, you know, whistle while you work. You know, enjoy the process, yeah. enjoy the work, and hopefully with that, good outcomes follow.
0: And listen to Friday with Fitz on Instagram. Well, right? yeah, you can listen to Friday <laughs> Thank you, mate. I appreciate okay.
1: it. Thanks, Jack. Cheers, mate.